0: Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Hear Our Voices. Today we have a special guest, as always. Um, we have Alyssa, and she will be talking about, well, you are hear what we're talking about. So it's Alyssa, introduce yourself.
1: Hi, thanks so much, Khadijah. I'm very happy to be here talking to you. Um, my name is Alyssa Titer-Gerald, and I work with Settlement Housing Fund, um, and I am very interested in, uh, you know, issues related to housing and affordable housing and um, what that looks like for people who are living in affordable housing and kind of, you know, moving and
0: navigating all these systems. Excellent. So today we're going to be talking about how to look at your lease and look at the vouchers and how it works with everything and how does it combine and how to navigate the system in that way. So can you tell us a little bit how leases work? If somebody doesn't know what a lease is, you can try to really break it down to the bare minimum so you can understand how everything everything works together and how it's gonna work for you if you end up getting a certain voucher from the city.
1: Sure, so your lease is basically your legal agreement with your landlord um related to the apartment. So it's where you'll find your rent, the lease terms, you know, it's from this date to this date. It'll usually be a year or two years, um, all the terms, so the things that you're allowed to do and you're not allowed to do, um, things related to utilities, if you're allowed to have dishwashers and uh, clothes, clothes washers and dryers, um, pets, um, and other kind of regular lingo that you'll see in there related to damage of apartments and things like that. Um, so you'll you'll have to read through it for more specifics. They vary a little bit depending on your your land order management company. But those are kind of the general um, the general things. Um, some things that might be a little confusing. Um, the the rent amount sometimes you might have what's called a preferential rent if if you have a voucher. So if the legal rent on a unit is like two thousand dollars, but your voucher is for something around fifteen hundred, they might have a preferential rent for fifteen hundred, meaning that you can um, you are linked to it and matched at that rent. But if you see the two thousand dollars, that's the legal rent. So there aren't necessarily implications for that because there's there are new laws in New York City indicating that if you are leased an apartment with a preferential rent, the preferential rent has to stay with you for the amount of time that you stay in the apartment. So meaning if you have an apartment today uh, for $1,500 of the preferential rent, the preference sticks with you until you leave. Um, the next renter, they might be obligated to pay the $2,000, but for you, it can't change. That, again, is new or ish. That's been around for about two years or so. Where it used to be, if you had a lease today for $1,500, if the lease was for two years, that means in 2023, you might be um, held responsible for the $2,000. So that's where things might get a little bit confusing. But um, that's the main gist. You just want to make sure that everything looks right. All the occupants are accurate before you sign it. Sometimes, if you have um, another adult living with you or you thought they might be living with you, but they're not, you should have them removed. You can get all those things squared away. Usually it's a notarized letter or some other proof, but once you sign it, um, it's, it's mostly a done deal, except if you have to make changes, you'll have to provide again proof and kind of justification for why someone needs to be
0: removed or added. So anybody out there? Hopefully that was clear enough for you guys. I think that's, um, when I was younger, I, should, I wish I would have got that lesson because I just went out in the world kind of just living <laughs> and I didn't know anything about leases and things like that. And I think that's good information for people to know before you sign any document, especially something big like a lease, a car, a house, make sure you read the information, what's on it, because you can sign up for a lot of different things that you don't realize you're signing. It's basically your life away in that moment. It's very important. So, can you give us examples? Like, example, if we have City Fabs, how would that work with the lease in that yes. sweet
1: Yep. So, with City Fabs, um, which is the the most common, um, you know, kind of voucher or housing support out there, um, you are eligible for you know up to a certain amount in rent. The the limits just went up, but I'm I'm not 100% uh, versed in them. I'm a little a little older. As far as my my direct interaction with the vouchers, um, but again, if you're eligible for $1,500, then you find it you can find an apartment for $1,500. Um, uh, within that $1,500, though, there are different um, rent responsibilities and portions. So, City Peps will pay a portion. Your shelter allowance through HRA will pay a portion, and then you may have a share known as the tenant portion. Um, the tenant portion is is calculated based on 30% of your income. So whatever your income is, the HRA will calculate 30% and that's your tenant portion. And then if you get shelter allowance, you're eligible for shelter allowance, that's also usually a pretty fixed number um, that will cover a small amount. Usually it's a couple hundred dollars and then city FEPS will pay the difference. So that's three different um, sources to cover the whole $1,500. Um, the way it's linked to your lease is it's fifteen hundred dollars you want to make sure that the lease is for the same amount that your your city feps is is um, allocated for and that the terms are also the same. Um, the lease will not indicate the different rent proportions and breakdown. So what that means is you're ultimately responsible for the full rent. City FEPS is the way that you're paying the rent. So you'll hear a lot about income discrimination um, and so on and so forth. I'm not gonna to talk too much about that, but it's really important to understand that even though CitiFEPS is covering perhaps the majority of your rent, you're still responsible for it because it falls to your public assistance case um, to pay out the CitiFEPS and the shelter allowance. And, and then if you have a portion of your tenant share, uh, if that's you know working income or SSI or whatever the case may be, then you're responsible for paying that every month so the lease won't really change much the only thing that you want to make sure is that the numbers match again but in understanding how city FEPS works it's you want to always ask what is my portion what is city paying and what will my shelter allowance pay that allows you to then kind of keep track of all of those payments because you as the leaseholder and tenant are ultimately ultimately responsible to to ensure that all of those things are paid every month to the landlord. Um, so you could do that by, if you have access HRA, you could log on and see what payments were made um, on your behalf from, again, your shelter allowance, and then also for city PEPs, see what payments have been going through. And then your tenant portion, uh, you know, you should also be sure to pay your tenant portion and keep proof of your payments so that if it comes up or if you notice it's, it hasn't been um, credited to your account, you can easily kind of show that and have that adjusted with your property manager.
0: That sounds good. Um, as she said before, for city FEPS, you do have to have an HRA um, case because they do pay those funds through that. And like example, is that the same like NYCHA and Section 8? Or is kind of similar?
1: Um, they're similar and they're different. Um, the similarities are that there's always a max rent that you're eligible for. Um, and then there's always a tenant share that's based on 30% of your income. Um, they're different in the sense that with Section 8, um, say you're eligible for $1,500 and it's calculated that your tenant shares $300 a month, you're only going to be charged and responsible for the $300 a month. Usually the landlord is not going to hold you responsible for the Section 8 um, portion of the payment because that's different and they get those payments. Um, they're in contract with Section 8. Whereas with City FEPS, your landlord is not in contract with City FEPS or HRA, that's the administrator. Um, with NYCHA, it's similar in the sense if you're in a NYCHA building, um, that building is already subsidized. So your lease amount is going to reflect your, your portion and then you're just paying your portion um, along the way. And if it changes, you work with NYCHA, but it's, it's kind of you're not dealing with the, um, the subsidy portion
0: at all got it is there any other subsidies or vouchers that are different and or if they're saying could you name out a couple so people can probably look for it and also do we have to be in a shelter for all of these subsidies to work coming from a shelter yep
1: So the other subsidies that you might hear of are FEPs, which is similar to city FEPs, but it's just kind of, there are different designations and there's different levels of funding, but it, or different um, types of funding, but it all it all kind of acts the same. There are different eligibility requirements that I don't know off the top of my head and I don't want to give the wrong information. Um, if, and then there's also, um, the emergency housing voucher, which is similar to it is basically a Section 8 voucher that's um, that folks might come across. Um, These are administered usually through shelter or um, home base or some other specialized groups. So I know some some child welfare groups are able to demonstrate eligibility um, as well as justice groups and home base and kind of housing prevention and stability groups are able to demonstrate eligibility on your behalf. So most of these are done through shelter and you must be in shelter. But with the pandemic, there are also some vouchers and subsidies that have exceptions um, that you need to be at risk of losing your housing and therefore you could be eligible. So these things are kind of constantly changing. So I would encourage everyone if you have, if you're curious to do a Google search, the documents are usually pretty easy to find. You should you should look for documents that are administered or issued rather by um, HRA, and they should come up pretty high on the Google search. If you put like city FEPs eligibility or FEPs, F-A-G-P-S eligibility, or EHB, emergency housing voucher eligibility, NYC, um, that should come up pretty
0: easily for you. Um, something just popped in my head. Um, how does Housing Connect work like, with these um leases? And can you explain a little bit about that if you know anything about it?
1: Yes, good question. Um, Housing Connect is the lottery system for all of the new, newer developments and the re-rentals. So you could apply for Housing Connect, uh, any any building and housing connect as long as you meet the income and kind of eligibility require, requirements, which are outlined on their system per each development. Um, so again, as long as you meet it, you should. And you're interested, you can and should apply. Um, all of those, all of those um, units can be linked with a the voucher. Um, there's nothing necessarily specific that you need to do differently to get linked to those, but it kind of works the same way as what I described before, that like you'll have a portion, um, the city will pay a portion through your shelter allowance and your um, city peps if you have it or section eight or you know whatever the case may be. What you should be aware of is not all these buildings operate the same. So the subsidy and voucher will always operate the same you know, give or take, the rules may change a little bit, and you know you should just kind of try to stay up to date on that. Um, and you could do that by you know Google kind of how I described it before. But all of these newer development buildings are a little bit different, so that doesn't mean I I don't think that means that you shouldn't apply. I think if you're kind of in the interview phase or getting closer, that's when you should ask a little bit of more. You should ask more questions about. What will this actually look like once I live here? What does recertification look like? What happens if my income changes? How will my portion? This is also for non lottery buildings, but particularly for lottery buildings because they're not regulated the same. So you want to just again look at recertification. Um, What am I going to have to report on? How do I report that? Um, What happens if I lose my voucher and I'm in this? brand new development, what do I do? Um, So I think that there are are a couple more risks there in terms of uh, wanting to understand what your your stability and kind of permanency will look like. Um, So those are the questions that come to mind, but all of the vouchers can be linked, but I would exercise a little more caution with understanding what kind of the long-term looks like usually if you're renting a bit uh, renting an apartment in like a 30-year-old low-rise you know walk-up building um that's rent regulated there's r- there's risk right because with subsidies or vouchers there's probably always risk and i'm sure there's always a feeling un- of uncertainty but um there's less less that can go wrong in those in those properties one because the rent is probably regulated to a lower amount, and two, um, it's just safer because the buildings are not necessarily bound to other financing issues that 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 um, play a part in the requirements of the tenant. So I know, like, Khadija and I um, know of an example where someone is in one of these properties, and she needed to turn over, like, her what I don't even remember the names of the apps, like what's in your Venmo, your cash app, your this, your that. And like, I, you know, no one could have ever guessed that that would come up. So I think that those are the types of questions to ask if you're going through the lottery um,
0: building. Got it. Um, Just in case people don't understand what recertification is, can you explain a little bit about that and how it might work for probably the basic um, voucher holder?
1: Yep. So the recertification is basically maintaining your eligibility. So this is something that you definitely want to ask about and understand at the beginning, even when you first get the voucher, even if you're not linked to an apartment or, and certainly, again, I would encourage everyone to review it again with someone once you're linked to an apartment. Um, That's, again, your eligibility. So usually it's a once a year thing. So again, if here it is October 20th, if I'm signing a lease today, I'll probably need to start thinking about recertification in August or September of 2022. So depending on what type of voucher you have, it's going to come to you differently. If you have Section 8, they'll send you paperwork directly and you have to submit you know, whatever they request to kind of ensure you remain eligible and also they'll recalculate your income if it has changed. They'll also recalculate your income if it's changed over the course of the year, but that's just kind of like a point in time when they definitely do it. So if you, if your income has remained steady, then it's just confirming that it's remained steady and none of the portions are changing. Um, recertification for city FEPs can be a little bit more uh, confusing because it's, dealing with HRA and, you know, a lot of us know that that's an imperfect system. So I would keep an eye if you know that your lease is again, October 20th to, even if it's a two-year lease, this is a yearly thing. It's an annual thing. So next, October, next August, September, you should be on the lookout for paperwork. If you don't see paperwork coming, I would encourage folks to reach out to HRA and say, Hey, I know my recertification my lease is coming up in in October what's going on with my my recertification documents to to maintain my eligibility so you can be a little proactive and see um if they could one ensure that things will be sent to you or be sure that they send something to you if it's not already in the works.
0: God forbid a person um doesn't recertify when they're supposed to how hard is it to get back a voucher or is it just like completely like doomed you have to find something else to pay for your that portion of the rent
1: yeah that's another great question so it's hard to lose a voucher I'd say um because with section eight for an example they'll reach out to the landlord too so they'll if they haven't heard from someone even before the recertification is due so again sticking with the example of like our October 20th in like September, if I'm a Section 8 recipient, my landlord, landlord will also get notification that I need to submit paperwork and please help the tenant do it, right? So they have a couple more eyes and um, there are more supports there and they'll notify you even after the, you know, say I miss, missed it and it's like next week, right? It's like October 27th they'll send more paper- paperwork to me like hey you missed this you got to do it they'll give you there's a window i think it's probably like 30 days but you you need to be sure to submit it otherwise once you lose section 8 then you you know one it's very hard to get section 8 again if you ever lost it um and then you're also then subject to eviction because you can't pay your rent your rent's not getting paid right so you want to be really um, mindful of those dates a calendar reminder, whatever the case may be, is to kind of again start thinking about these things a couple of months beforehand. With CityFaps, um, it's a little bit it's a little bit different because again, I've heard more times than not that like, oh, I never got the paperwork, or they sent it late, or whatever the case may be, and that's all true. I don't, I you know, I know that that's all true. I've seen it happen, and um, that's how it plays out. So. They're a little bit more like if it, if you go in in December because you, you didn't recertify in October, they do have mechanisms to put it back on your HRA budget and then it just kind of like picks up again. So it's less, um, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to lose city peps kind of indefinitely, but it does fall off of budgets and you should and need to get it, you know, rectified as quickly as you can so that. One, you're not falling, you're not accruing arrears on your account and your rent is being paid. And two, so you don't have like it's not more complicated to get it back on your public assistance budget.
0: So I already know the answer, but I know probably people are asking, does just any old apartment or any old house qualify for these subsidies, or do you have to like get inspections and things like that? So
1: there are inspections so there's a section 8 there's a section 8 inspection so if you want to use section 8 on an apartment then hpd will come out and inspect it um and same with city PEPS. there is a city faps except, um, inspection i'm sorry they're not the same but they're similar so um and if you're moving from shelter your your supports and your workers in the shelter should be pretty well versed in what the inspection looks like and what it takes so um, you know, they're looking for basically serious life safety issues. So, like outlets without outlet covers, no window guards, um, other issues with plumbing, that sort of a thing. For city PEPs, with HPD, it's a little bit more. Um, they're looking at a little bit more, kind of beyond immediate life safety, but that is part of the process. Um, And the landlord will have access to kind of what the inspector is looking for beforehand so that they should be able to get everything ready um, and the apartment should pass inspection.
0: Okay, just in case somebody doesn't know,
1: what is HPD? Oh yeah, sorry, Um, Housing Preservation Department. So that's like the main body that oversees the apartment stock um, in New York City. So if you have a problem, you call three one one. most of the complaints, they go to, th- to HPD, Housing Preservation Department.
0: Got it. Do you have any last words or anything you wanna tell people to kind of help them with this whole process? Because it can be very scary, especially if it's the first time doing something like this. What can mm-hmm. you help them out with?
1: Yeah, I would say just like, you know, really think to um, ask questions because I know it could be a rush process and it's overwhelming and it's like, you know, pe- you, you want to move, you want to do all these things and it's exciting at the same time. But, you know, I just have seen so many times people be unsure or surprised by the fact that like, you know, they didn't know what their portion was that they were responsible for. So, or how city peps was being paid. So like, do, and I know it can be confusing, So, but do your best to ask questions and kind of like demand answers because ultimately once you move out of shelter and you're in an apartment with a lease, all too often people say, well, you know, you're on your own. It's your responsibility at this point. So like really understanding the breakdown of portions, understanding that if the city PEPs letter says, you know, you don't have to pay for three months. Okay, what does that look like? How do I know that the three months were paid and then I start, you um, paying on the fourth month? Um, what is the landlord bonus? How does that pay out? What should I look for? What happens if my income changes? How do I know what my new portion is? Um, what if my household size changes? How do I report that and fix my, um, you know, the subsidy amount if I'm eligible for more? Um, you know, what is my land? How do I communicate with my landlord, my property manager? What do I do if they're not responding to me? I think asking any questions like that um, to whoever you have available to you, you know, will maybe help you feel, you know, a little more comfortable once you are on day one or day two of your lease, um, you know, understanding utilities, is this in my name? How do I pay this? Uh, you know, what about internet? What, are, what does that look like? There's so many things, but kind of, trying to think especially if you've never been a leaseholder before I know with my first apartment, I didn't know I had to turn the electricity on so I was in the dark for like a weekend and that was not very (laughs) it was kind of scary and I was like oh I guess I should have known this but um you know and like you said too Khadija like you wish you had known some of these things in hindsight so it's hard to think obviously down the line always but just, I think most importantly, really understanding how the vouchers work, the subsidy works and the, the breakdown of the money, because that's, that's where, you know, people are going to be looking the closest, the, the kind of record of the account. And it's your responsibility as a leaseholder. So
0: you want to know what you're being held responsible for. All right. Thank you so much. So I think the theme of this whole podcast is just, um, Obviously, knowing your least, but also asking questions. because That's the best way to know information. And honestly, things change so often. So it's always good to be updated to certain information. So it's always good to ask questions stuff like that. So, guys, we are at the end of "Hear Our Voices. It's your host again, KZ. And don't forget to go on our Twitter account. The links will be down below. Also, go to our Instagram and see our quotes of the week from each podcast coming up before you. Thanks again and hope to see you. Or technically, hope you come back to hear us next week. Bye.